Welcome to Words That Move Me, the podcast where movers and shakers like you get the information and inspiration you need to navigate your creative career with clarity and confidence. I am your host, Dana Wilson, and I move people. I am all about the tools and techniques that empower tomorrow's leaders to make the work of their dreams and live a full life while doing it. So whether you're new to the game or transitioning to your next echelon of greatness, you're in the right place. Hello, hello, my friend. Welcome to Words That Move Me. I'm Dana. You are here. I am here. We are excited. Thank you for being here. Um, <laughs> this The episode is called How to Be Good at Failing Without Actually Sucking. But what it could actually be called is a lesson in mastery. But I didn't think that was as catchy. So we went with how to be good at failing without actually sucking. And we're going to get into that because there is this moment, this thing that is happening right now, this chapter in the book of humans where every entrepreneur slash self-help guru slash coach slash mentor is encouraging you to fail. Fail 25 times per quarter. Fail every day. Plan for failure. Fail your way to success. Like, that is the message. Fail at all of the things, all of the time. <laughs> now, I'm not not encouraging you to fail. Like, I've said those words on this podcast before. I really encouraging, celebrating failures, treating them as wins. But y'all, <laughs> I'm kind of weary about this whole championing the failure thing because if you know me at all, you know I really, really believe in the power of our minds. And I think that if we plan to fail, that's exactly what we will do. <laughs> if we rehearse ourselves at failing, that's what we'll get good at. If we really aim to fail, that is what we will do. Now, I want to explore this subject a little bit. I want to unpack failure and what it means to become a master. Um, I'm inviting some of my heavyweight champion super master super friends to weigh in on this subject over the course of this upcoming month. And um, I'm kind of loving this whole themed month thing, actually. Money March, Aesthetic April, where we talked about personal style and self-image, um, and now Mastery in May. I'm here for it. I'm here for it because I want to encourage you not to fail, but to fail better than you did before. I want to encourage you to fail your way to mastery, not fail your way to more failure. All right, that's what we're doing today. But before we get into it, let's do wins because we're talking about failures and becoming a master, which takes a really freaking long time. So let's celebrate the small stuff, shall we? Today, I am celebrating Nick Palmquist's masterclass at Millennium Dance Complex last week. Um, this was my first full out choreography dance class in quite some time. Um some several months, I think. Although I have taken ballet a few times. Thank you, Spencer Theberg, for your amazing, amazing classes. Um, actually, this is a good moment to pause. 
when you become a member of the Words That Move Me community, you have access to what we call the Class Dispatch. Uh, Class Dispatch is a Slack channel that we have where we post and share about classes. And Spencer, we are blasting your classes in the Words That Move Me Class Dispatch. Um, I also blasted Nick Palmquist's class in the Class Dispatch, but guess what? User error. Posted the wrong time. My friends, oof. I thought class started at 4.30. Class started at 4, which is hysterical because at 4, before I left my house, I coached myself on how I wanted to show up and perform, and I thought about who I might see and if we might film, and I kind of talked myself through how I would warm up and get good and sweaty and... Um, unfortunately I didn't have time to work out that day before class. So I was planning on getting there a little bit early so I could do my medial glute exercises and be all primed to perform. And y'all, I was late. <laughs> I was not only late, I was 30 whole minutes late. Um, which at the studio I grew up at, that was considered like, you're not allowed to dance. You can sit and watch. Um, but Nick is so kind. He allowed me to warm myself up quickly and jump into it, sink or swim, which, oh my gosh, you guys, the first two eight counts of this piece, of this dance, the first two eight counts of this choreography had more moves than what I am accustomed to doing in several eight counts. And I walked through that door as if I was ready to do a spinal roll down, and I heard one and a two and a three and a four and a, and I almost had a heart attack. Um... But I am so glad I was late, circling back to the win. I'm glad I was late because I got to practice something that I wasn't prepared for, right? Like learning under pressure and getting to practice a thing that was not the thing you thought you would be practicing. In my case, it was feeling behind without tapping out. It was practicing asking the effective question that actually helped me instead of just like filled in a blank. Um, and then, of course, just letting go to let it rip, releasing this idea that I would be perfect, um, but also releasing this idea that I would fail because I was late. Like, that wasn't useful. Um, so anyways, it was a fabulous class. I very much consider Nick a master teacher. The insights that, um, that I gained from that class, from that 90-minute class, which I was only present for 60 minutes of, is actually too much to include in one win section. Um, Nick Palmquist was a guest way, way back in season one, episode, wait for it, get out of here, episode 12, The Dawn of Time. Um, anyways, please check out that episode with Nick Palmquist, although I'm sure he would tell you himself that was back in 2020. We have different thoughts and feelings now. We are different people interested in different things. So I am dying to have Nick come back on the palm, on the palm, palm cast. <laughs> Y'all, I'm recording at night today. I'm a little bit loopy. So sorry about that. But Nick palm cast on the palm quest palm podcast. And we're moving on. That's my win. Excellent class. Thank you so much, Millennium. Thank you so much, Nick Palmquist. Thank you so much, Self, for being late and not surrendering completely. I had such a good time. Okay, that's me. That's what's going on in my world. Now you go. What's going well in yours? 
killer. Congratulations. I'm so glad you're winning. Keep it up. All right, now mastery. What comes up when I say that word, master? What comes up for you when I say, I want for you to become a master? What do you think of that? Do you think, oh, I could never? Or do you think like, dude, I'm on my way, I'm trying. <laughs> do you think there's only a few true masters out there? Do you think mastery takes time? Like, go ahead and think about your thoughts about mastery. All the cliches, all the lessons that your parents taught you, all the things that you assume about masters. Just let yourself kind of meditate on this word for a second. <laughs> I wonder, I secretly hope, that by the end of this month, or maybe even the end of this episode, your thoughts about mastery might evolve. Story time. As if this entire episode wasn't story time. If you are an avid fan of the podcast, you know that I changed the intro for this second season. It used to sound like this. This is Words That Move Me. The podcast where movers and shakers like you get the information and inspiration you need to navigate your creative career with clarity and confidence. I am your host, Master Mover, Dana Wilson. And if you're someone that loves to learn, laugh, and is looking to rewrite the starving artist story, then sit tight, but don't stop moving, because you're in the right place. And now... It sounds like, welcome to Words That Move Me. Well, it sounds like what you heard about 10 minutes ago. I'm not going to replay it for you, but it's new, it's different, and I'm going to tell you the key difference is that I stopped calling myself a master mover. Why? <laughs> I had a big discussion with myself about this. Actually, two discussions. I had a big discussion with myself before I decided to use the word master mover, that's two words, um, in season one, and then another big discussion with myself when I decided to drop it. Now, mastery is kind of a funny thing because it's very hard to define, but very easy to spot. Like, you know it when you see it, but you couldn't really describe it as being one thing because there are so many different varieties of mastery and levels of mastery and, you know, perspectives about mastery. I don't think there is actually one way to achieve it. Um, people probably would say that mastery is hard to define and achieve because it isn't a destination. It's a journey and blah, 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 blah. And that's all probably true. But when I was starting this podcast and decided to call myself a master mover, I thought I should probably be able to back that up. <laughs> so after years and years of working with other masters of their crafts, the tops of the tops, um, and after aspiring for so many years to become one myself, the way that I came to define mastery is as follows. A master has had and continues to seek exceptional training. And I don't necessarily mean training from an institution. That training 
might take place around a dinner table, or in a backyard, or in a living room, or in a park somewhere, but some form of training. To me, the dancer, that is baseline. From there, a master is deeply committed to their practice of that training, to their work, to their craft. They engage with it daily or very close to daily. And here's my favorite. A master possesses sprezzatura. I'm going to go ahead and let you look that word up. S-P-R-E-Z-Z-A-T-U-R-A. But I'm also just going to go ahead and tell you right now. Some people explain sprezzatura, sprezzatura, which is Italian, as the art of seeming artless. I like to think of it as the art of making something difficult look easy. I said look easy. (laughs) The art of making something difficult look easy. Or making something extraordinary look as if it occurred naturally. A master doesn't push through it. They roll with it. Sprezzatura. Absolutely required for a master in my eyes. Um, Actually, uh, my acting teacher and podcast guest Gary Imhoff used to tell a story about Pavarotti, the um, the opera master, I'll call him. Um, and there's a, a a saying, a rumor about him that he would keep a handkerchief in his pocket and dab off his sweat occasionally to show people that what he was doing was hard. People became unimpressed because he was making something so difficult look so easy that he wasn't getting the response that he wanted. People just assumed that what he was doing was normal and achievable and natural. Um, So I think that's a very interesting example of having sprezzatura, having so much of it, in fact, that you needed to make up for some amount of, of, um, of difficulty in order to get the, the wow factor from the audience. It's an interesting thing to consider. Moving forward, another defining quality of a master to me is that they have beyond average stamina and endurance for their work. From the outside looking in, it might even look like they have boundless energy, but I'll leave it at this. Where others would tire, they persist. And they do so without the white-knuckle grip, without the feeling that they have to check the box. They do it with a relaxed smile. They do it because they love to stay in the game. They might take a break, but they don't quit. And they're usually the last ones on the field when everybody else is called to the locker room. (laughs) Um, Another defining quality of a master, in my view, is that they operate beyond the influence of trends. They're not a flash in the pan. They are not the hot moment, usually. They are what we call classic. They are what we call lifers, in it for life. And I love it. Um, and lastly, here we are, last, last point for me, for my understanding, for my definition of what it means to be a master. A master knows their edge. They know when to push it 
and they know when to pull back. And how did they learn where their, where their edge is? By failing many times, by pushing it, by going too far and losing control, by not going far enough and feeling that, oh, I shoulda, woulda, coulda moment. Um, a master knows their edge. And I think, could be wrong here, haven't spent much haven't spent much time with this amendment to this bullet, but I think masters are comfortable at their edge. I think they have learned how to dial it so well that they're able to be there. And man, is that an interesting place to watch. Oh, speaking of watching things, y'all, if you have not already seen, um, it's a, a movie called Grand Piano starring Elijah Wood. It's written by Damien Chazelle who directed La La Land and many, many, many more greats. Um, but it's a really, it's very interesting film. Um, I will say it's very interesting. It is about a prodigy pianist who sort of fell off the scene for a time. And during a very high profile comeback performance, for which he is very, very nervous, he becomes the mark of a hitman, an assassin, who will kill him if he plays one wrong note. <laughs> and I'm not doing a very good job selling this movie to you right now. That might sound kind of like corny or cliche, but it is a very interesting story. And what's even more interesting is that it was shot very close to real time. Um, in other words, the length of this piano performance, like the length of the piece he plays is almost the whole length of the movie. So we don't cut between playing the piano and then the plot. Like the plot is happening while he is playing piano, which means dialogue of multiple characters had to line up with what is being played. His dialogue had to be up, be lined up with what he was actually playing. Oh my God, the choreographer in me is so turned on by this. Like, the rehearsal, the precision, holy smokes. Very special. Um, and kind of cool because the music that he is playing, and I do believe he had a, a double, a hand double for some of it, but the music that he's playing kind of becomes the score of the whole film, and the story just unfolds as dialogue on top of that. Um and everything, yeah, everything is happening in real time. So the intermission is the actual length of a real intermission. The encore is the length of a real actual encore. Um, and it gets so freaking tense. It's so tense. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And talk about a master, though. <laughs> like, Elijah Wood learned how to play the piano well enough to believably play what we are actually hearing while he is doing the thing that he does best which of course is deliver the ring into Mount Doom. I am sorry. I couldn't possibly talk about Elijah Wood for that long without making Lord of the Rings reference. Sorry about that. Not sorry. Anyways, back to me. For a time, I felt that in dance and with movement and with the moving of people, I did feel like I fit that description. I had and continued to seek out great training. I was committed to my daily practice. I made it look easy. Y'all, the stuff that I did was hard. <laughs> the stuff that I did daily, like three to five shows a week, was hard, and it looked like play. It looked like a game. 
I did it for a really long time, really long relative to my life. Um, 35 and I started when I was three, <laughs> if we'll call dancing at three work or a craft. It was the beginnings of it. Um, I will say that I, I didn't ever want to stop. I saw trends come and go. I found my edge. And here's what happened. I used to be dancing for hours a day, full eight-hour dance days, like moving for eight hours a day. And then life changes. I move more into choreographing than into dancing. And then pandemic hits. And then podcast starts. I start talking more than I'm training. I start working more than I'm playing. And I'll be real, sometimes a full week would go by without so much as a wiggle. So I felt very uncomfortable calling myself a master mover if I wasn't wiggling weekly. My goodness. But even that, like even not dancing every day or every week would have been okay. Except I really did start to punish myself for the lulls in between working. Um, instead of indulging in them, instead of resting, instead of doing something else, I would pretty often tell myself I should have danced, I should have taken class, I should be blah, 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 blah. Well, my friend, this is me, here and now, telling you, there and then, that I'm recommitting to mastery. I think for a while, I became committed to my to-do list, very excited in doing and less excited in becoming. And y'all, I am not interested in like doing medial things. I am interested in becoming a master. I want to be really, really, really good at what I do. And part of getting better is realizing that I'm not my best yet. So look out, everybody, because I want to get better that, my friend, is what is on the way. For me and for you, I invite you on that journey with me. Okay, now I want to pause for a second and recommend a book. It is called Mastery. Shocker. <laughs> Excellent title. Um, actually, the subtitle really puts it over the top. This book is called Mastery, The Keys to Success and Long-Term Fulfillment. Whoa. Um, anyways, I read it in a day because I'm a master reader, apparently. Uh, just kidding. It's a pretty small book. You could read it in a day as well. The author, George Leonard, explains four different types of people, four different types of learners. The master, the dabbler, the hacker, and the obsessive. The master learns over a long period of time. They have small bursts of improvement, followed by some plateaus where they are learning and practicing before the next kind of aha light switch moment and that burst of improvement, which is followed by yet another plateau, right? So we have little blip, long plateau, another blip, long plateau, and sort of on the on on the timeline of life, this trends towards up. Level goes up. Degree of mastery goes up. The dabbler, on the other hand, starts something new. They probably experience that 
um, beginner's luck, that first blip of improvement, but they don't make it through all the plateaus. They stop. They find something new to have beginner's luck with or to have that kind of honeymoon phase with. They don't make it past the plateau. They stop. They start something new. That's the dabbler. The hacker finds a shortcut or a cheat. So their overall improvement ceases because they've found the hack. So the work stops and so does the improvement. So their progression over time might look like a steep increase where they've found the hack, the cheat, the shortcut, and then it levels off. They live in the plateau. No more blips happen. No more improvement happens because the work stops happening. There we have it. There's the hacker. Now, finally, the obsessive. The obsessive is not satisfied with a blip of improvement followed by a plateau. They are more interested in the idea of always improving, always being climbing, always being 100%, which, as you might imagine, leads to things like burnout or losing interest, or especially for dancers and athletes, injury, which causes involuntary pause, a decline in physical and mental stamina, and thus, eventually, when the obsessive person is, is back at it, they usually jump into it at 110 so that they can make up for, quote, lost time. And then the cycle repeats, of course. As I, as I talk about the master, the dabbler, the hacker, and the obsessive, do any of those sound like you? <laughs> to be honest, I think we all possess parts of or periods of all of them. Um, yeah, I, I think we're kind of multis, all of us, but it is very interesting to think about. All right, my friends. I'm jazzed to be digging into this topic with you this month. I cannot wait to hear from my guests about what they think. Um, but before we get into all of that, now that I've told you the defining qualities of a master in my eyes, I also want to tell you, <laughs> according to me, some of the things that might keep you from becoming a master. And I'm talking from experience here. Um... Obviously, kind of as pointed out with the dabbler, the hacker, and the obsessive, quitting after the first blip, changing your focus often just to chase that honeymoon phase, that keeps you from becoming a master. Now, hear me. I am not saying that having many interests keeps you from becoming a master. I know a lot of you guys out there think that that's the one thing keeping you from really breaking through is that you just have so many interests. I think having many interests is an asset. I do think it pays to be focused, but you can focus on more than one thing. You can. Maybe not at one time, but um, I, I really am hesitant uh, to encourage people to put all the eggs in one basket. I don't think I don't think that's the way to handle your eggs. <laughs> I think you should Easter egg hunt them and put them all over the place. Um, I digress. We're talking about mastery. 
and quitting after the first hump. There's a difference between changing focus and having many focuses. So I think the dabbler changes focus because they don't like focusing on the plateau that comes after that blip of improvement. Another thing to look out for is getting obsessive, going to that 110% and then crashing and beating yourself up for crashing. Raise his hand. This is, <laughs> this is self over here. Um, another thing is obviously trying to hack the system, trying to get ahead fast or get ahead by doing less work. I do think there's a lot to be said for working smarter, not harder, but eventually you will have to work hard if you want to be a master. This is, this is again, baseline to me. <laughs> um, another thing that might be very obvious, but I think is worth noting, is poor instruction. I don't think you can expect yourself to achieve mastery with poor instruction. Great news is, the time that we live in, excellent instruction is so very available. So very available to you. I'm thinking about my friends at CLI. I'm thinking about masterclass series all over the place, traveling conventions. This is just the beginning. Here's another one. And this, I think, deserves a podcast all to itself. Laziness. Oh, yes, laziness can keep you from becoming a master. And for those of you who don't know the difference between being lazy and resting or being lazy and just being down, which I think there's value to. Like, you, you can be down. Feel your feelings, my friends. But I, I have an answer to that question, how to tell the difference between being lazy and resting. But I'll put that in the parking lot. We'll come back to it another time. Ah, here's another one. Blaming the tools. Blaming the tools that are available to you is not the mark of a master. In my experience, a master will never blame their tools. They will be ridiculously exceptional no matter what tools they work with. I'm imagining right now <laughs> one of our band members from JT playing a little tiny cheap ukulele at some airport somewhere instead of their, you know, thousand dollar guitar and me being moved to tears. So that's the thing that can happen. Don't blame your tools. Another thing that can get in the way is taking yourself too seriously. Y'all, this creative life is not rainbows and butterflies. It will get tough. And if you want to stick it out, if you want to enjoy any part of that, <laughs> I strongly suggest a healthy sense of humor. This creative life, y'all, it has ups and downs. And whether you are up or down, a good joke is always appropriate. I take it back. Some jokes are inappropriate, but I think you get what I mean. A healthy dose of humor helps the creative career go down. And by down, I mean up. This analogy is going nowhere. <laughs> Moving on. The next thing that might get in the way of you becoming a master, ironically, is perfection. I don't believe in it. I don't believe it exists. I believe in progress 
over perfection. In fact, today I was talking about this with a coaching client who was coming off of an intensive, felt so enriched, so inspired, had all the materials, had done all the learning, and was afraid that it was all going to be squandered because they won't have time to practice, they won't have time to rehearse, all of this inspiration is going to go, you know, go be wasted because there's not enough time to really cash in on it. They were feeling that they needed to, um, the metaphor we used was bake this perfect cake out of all the ingredients that they got over the last seven days and that they had to ice this cake and that it had to be perfect. But sometimes all you really need to satisfy the sweet tooth is a spoonful of cookie dough from the fridge. I think we can all agree that sometimes we need a spoonful of cookie dough from the fridge. And that that sometimes it doesn't need to be a big, bold testament of greatness. Sometimes it's a big, bold testament of endurance. That is what I believe in. I believe that the key to mastery is in those plateaus. It's in the moments in between big learning and big performative demonstrations of all of your talent and training. I believe that I can love the plateaus. I believe I might be in one right this very second. And y'all, it's not that bad. <laughs> Please join me in the pursuit of mastery this month and every month. I'm going to have some great guests this month, so please be sure to subscribe, set alarms for new episodes, do whatever it is you have to do every Wednesday, be here, and um, oh, if you are looking for a place to be where you can become a master with the support of a solid community, truly ace human beings, the Words That Move Me community is really where that is at. I offer daily creative prompts, monthly playlists, monthly video lessons, group coaching calls, and even one-on-one -on -one coaching. This is starting at $3 per month, my friends. Come on. It is a no-brainer. Visit wordsthatmoveme.com and click on shop or just poke around the website if you're curious and want to learn more. Whoa. All right. That's it for me today, my friends. A discussion about mastery, a recommitment to it, a commitment to unpacking it and figuring out what it means to achieve it and encourage it. Uh, this is what we are doing this month, my friends. I am so glad that you showed up today, and I cannot wait to talk to you again very soon. Keep it funky out there. Later. This podcast was produced by me with the help of many. Music by Max Winnie, logo and brand design by Bree Reitz, and a big thanks to Riley Higgins, our executive assistant and editor. And also a massive thanks to you, the mover, who is no stranger to taking action. I will not stand in the way of you taking action. I will not, cannot stop you from downloading episodes or leaving a review and a rating. I cannot keep you from visiting thedanawilson.com to join our mailing list. I will not ban you from my online store for spending your hard-earned money on the cool merch and awesome programs that await you there. 
And of course, if you want to talk with me, work with me, and make moves with the rest of the Words That Move Me community, I will 100% not stop you. Visit thedanawilson.com to become a member and get a peek at everything else I do that is not a weekly podcast. Keep it funky, everyone.